some of you might have heard about Ruskin Bond and maybe you are familiar with some of his works. He has written lots and lots of children's books and he lives uh, near Masuri, a Himalayan town and he writes extensively about the life in Himalayas, his own experience and he has written quite a few biographical works, memoir where he talks about that experience. And in one of his biographies, I found that he's written about his experience in different months, how the life goes on in December or January or February. So I thought it'd be worth the effort to take out all those passages and read it out for you every month. So since this is December, I'm going to start with December. So let's begin. In today's mail, instead of the Christmas letters I was hoping for, a solitary letter from a certain evergreen publications. Dear Sir, Your address has been collected from Children's Book Trust. We are at lost end to know your profession. We are children book publishers and we are looking for artist, author, editor. Kindly send your bio data. Well, I always thought I was an author by profession and my tax return says as much. But now I too am at a lost end. When I look down from the heights of Lendur to the broad valley of Dune far below, I can see the little Suswa river silver in the setting sun, meandering through the fields and forests on its way to its confluence with the mighty Ganga. The Suswa river I knew well as a boy. But it has been many years since I swam in its quiet pools or slept in the shade of the tall spreading trees growing on its banks. Now I see it from my window far away, dreaming like. And I keep promising myself that I will visit it again to touch its waters, cool and clear, and feel its rounded pebbles beneath my feet. It's a little river flowing down from the ancient Shivaliks, which are older than the Himalayas according to some geologists, running the length of the valley until its sister river, the Song, it slips into the Ganga just above the holy city of Haridwar. I could wade across it except during the monsoons when it was in spate and the water seldom rose above the waist except in sheltered pools where it was chin deep and where I swam gently through shoals of small fish. There is a little known legend about the Suswa and its origins, which I have always treasured. It tells us that the Hindu sage Kashyapa once gave a great feast to which all the gods were invited. Now Indra, the god of rain, while on his way to the entertainment, happened to meet 60,000 Balkis of the Brahmin caste, 
who were trying in vain to cross a cow's footprint filled with water, to them a vast lake. The god could not restrain his laughter and scoffed at them. The indignant priests determined to have their revenge at once set to work creating a second Indra, who should supplant the reigning god. This could only be done by means of penance and mortification, in which they preserved. Until the sweat flowing from their tiny bodies made the river known as the Suswa or flowing waters. Indra, alarmed at the effect of these religious exercises, sought the intercession of Brahma, the creator, through whose good offices he was able to keep his position as the rain god. I saw no Balkhils or fairies near the Suswa, but once lying full length on its grassy verge, I look up to see on the opposite bank a magnificent tiger drinking at the water's edge. It was only some 60 feet away and I lay very still and watched it until it too raised its head, sniffed the wind and then walked regularly downstream and out of sight. I do not remember feeling afraid. As children, we do not have a fear of wild animals unless it is inculcated in us. And animals are quick to sense fear in a human. But I am unable to test my reactions as an adult for, alas, there are no longer tigers in the forest near the Suswa. Still I must go down to that river, to its gently flowing waters, but only after the monsoons when Indra, the rain god, has reasserted himself. In every small town of India, there is or used to be an English cemetery. These graves, some of them going back to the 17th century, are perhaps the most eloquent memorials to the British presence in India. Soldiers and civilians, women and children, many of them cut down in their prime by diseases for which there were then no cures. Lie here in their thousands mute testimony to the hazards of empire building. Many old cemeteries lie in ruins. Some have disappeared altogether. Their disappearance is perhaps inevitable in a land where the pressures of an ever-increasing urban population result in the view that an old cemetery is really an ideal building site. Some of them, like the Camel's Back and Landour cemeteries in Masuri, are the beauty spots in themselves. The trees still standing and usually facing north with views of the eternal snows. Men come and go and even nations die but the mountains, they remain.